cool. So it's quite a windy day this one was recorded on. Oh yeah, but what a charming sounding frog. Almost like they're chuckling. Yeah, it sounds like those little toys that you shake that make a funny noise. Like, you know, the ones you turn, you twist, and it goes like, wow. Oh, the only ones of those I can think of are the ones that sound like cows. Yeah, similar. So that's not what you're referring Anything to. that sort of forces air out that entertains children. They sound quite similar to our native frogs, I thought. But anyway, I won't say too much. Have you got any ideas what it might be oh or where God. it might be from? I've got no idea. I'm completely unsighted with all of these frogs. I'm, I'm awful at this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is hard. Well, I reckon it's going to be some sort of rana or hyla. I reckon it's... Yeah, I'm going to go with it's a rana. I reckon their common name has laughing or chuckling in it. I reckon they are from Costa Rica. I think it's the Costa Rican mountain, mountain laughing frog. No, you were right about rana, though. Do rana even exist in well South America, Central and South America? I'm not sure, mate, to be honest. I've, oh, rana's one that keeps changing anyway. Yeah, rana was kind of like a bit of a catch-all, but this one is, it used <laughs> to be rana, it, yeah. but now it's silver rana. It's silver rana guentheri, a.k.a. guentha's frog or guentha's amoy frog. Guentha's? Yeah, Gunther. It's like Gunther, but with an E in it. Is that Gwentha or is that Gunther? Oh, it's just a name. It's a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It so wasn't a word I didn't understand. It's just a name. Yeah, no, it's just a name. It's named after somebody called Gwentha. And they're found in Asia, in like China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Vietnam, Macau, Guam. Oh, they've been introduced to Guam, excuse me, by accident. <laughs> Oops, a daisies. And, um, accident? Or maybe on purpose. People eat them. I remember some type of snail being introduced there so people could eat it. And I wonder if the frog's the same. That's a very pertinent point that you make there, Ben, for reasons I shall soon tell you. But this frog, it looks like our European common frog, to be honest. Very similar. That sort of body type. Greeny, mm-hmm. with like a bit of black on the sides, a lateral stripe, big eyes, pointy nose. And um, the reason I thought this frog was interesting is because like i said it's found in china among other places but it's um declining quite severely in china likely due in large part to habitat modification and destruction etc but also people in china do eat this frog and Mm -hmm. this species along with other chinese frogs and toads including your mate bufo melanistictus the black spine toad these... Please, Dutophrinus melanistictus. Oh, did I say Bufo? That's a faux pas. Yeah, um, <laughs> they've changed it. Yeah, well done. So, uh, <laughs> schooled. So, yeah, <laughs> these frogs, anyway, Gunther's frog, have been found to be an intermediate host for the rat lungworm, which causes a horrible disease called angiostrongyliasis in humans. And, um, yeah, it causes this kind of meningitis called eosinophilic meningitis which is really bad for you like people die from it and so um yeah this frog if you eat it you got to cook it because otherwise you can get end up with this horrible parasite it's funny you mentioned snails because there's also in thailand a dish called hoi poi which contains mm-hmm. raw snails and can also be a vector to get this parasite it's yeah, dangerous it's to eat uncooked amphibians and snails and these are an example yeah. of people being undone the way it works is that like there's vegetables with the larvae on them. Rats hang around near the vegetables, maybe eat the vegetables. And then the right uh, the larvae mature in the rat and lay their eggs in the lungs. And then the rats poo them out. And then worms eat the poo. And then slugs and snails eat the larvae as, when it's in the poo. And then it gets eaten again by like 
lizards and frogs and stuff in snails and slugs, and then it can make its way into humans, either when they eat snails or the amphibians. And yeah, it gives you this really horrible disease, um, which can kill you. Yeah, like all these parasite things, I'm always amazed how convoluted the life cycle sounds. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> amazed like, they still exist. Yeah, but yeah. clearly those interactions are frequent and intense enough to, yeah. I feel like it's grim. Yeah, it's crying out for a video game, stuff like that. Not this one, because it would be like really insensitive to make a video game about a parasite. Although having said that, you know, video games about ongoing wars are a thing. So yeah, maybe they're not, maybe <laughs> game developers aren't so fussed about that. But like a game where you were like a parasite completing its various life stages would be pretty nutty. It would be kind of grotesque. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the frog. It's called either Gwenther's frog or Gwenther's Amoy frog. Um, there you go. It was a good guess. You guessed. You, you had the sort of vague structure of the frog right. <laughs> but yeah, let's move on. Let's move on because uh, we don't have time to linger on frogs and parasites today. We've got a Patreon episode. This is for Philip Iovino. Oh, and I should introduce us. I'm Tom Major. This is Ben Marshall. This is the Herpetological Highlights podcast. And this is a Patreon episode for one of our patrons who is interested in finding out more about some quite specific things, actually. One of which was gopher tortoises these big tort well no they're not that big but these tortoises that live in the usa well, they're bigger than little ones yeah yeah they're actually sort of yeah they're te- pretty decent they're not ma- i'd say they're quite they're small. not massive but then when you're talking about massive tortoises you're talking about tortoises that could you know feel like the size of a large dog yeah i mean those are the tortoises that are the best obviously this one not bad this is a solid medium tortoise yeah no, they're cool they're all cool but yeah philip wanted to know about specifically because gopher tortoises dig burrows whether the burrows ever collapse and if we could find any papers about collapse of burrows and then he also wanted to know about the impacts of feeding wild turtles because he went to a park in orlando florida and there was this spot where there's a lake and there's like a walkway running over the lake and loads of turtles as he walked over the walkway started appearing out of the murk just like popping their little heads out like and um yeah they wanted to eat see something similar in central park in new york oh yeah there's a whole bunch of Hungry, hungry turtles there. Yeah, there's a bunch of places like that in China too. Everywhere we went in like Sichuan, Yunnan province. Because like, it's a thing to like buy a little turtle and let it go and let it go in like a little, essentially a water feature. And then you end up with like a thousand turtles in the water feature. And if you go anywhere near it, they'll mob you. They'll stay in the water though. But yeah, the... um, (laughs) They want to mob you. They want to mob you. Yeah, they're doing their best. (laughs) You can see it in their little turtle eyes. Anyway, uh, yeah, Philip went to this park and he saw a bunch of slider turtles and huge soft-shell turtles just begging for food, essentially. And he was thinking, well, that's not normal turtle behavior. Is it normal? It's obviously not normal. Is it bad that they're kind of loitering around hoping for some bread? And so, yeah. Yeah, that's a more complex question to answer for sure. Yeah. And so Philip wanted to know if there are any studies detailing odd behavior from turtles as a result of poorly informed humans feeding them. And Ben, credit to you, mate. You actually pulled it out of the bag and found papers about both tortoise burrows and turtles being fed. It was lucky. It was mad lucky. Ever modest. And so, yeah, these turtles that we're focusing on in this episode, they're not freshwater turtles like Philip saw. They're actually marine turtles, but it's the same conundrum. So we think we did pretty well. (laughs) We're going to do both. I think the lessons that are drawn from the turtle study could be applied to all sorts of circumstances and is a wonderful, like, bedrock to chat about it. Yes. So without further ado... (laughs) 
let's move on to the papers and this first one is by Goodman, Smith, Gorman and Haas, 2018, Logevity of Gopher Tortoise Burrows in Sandy Soils, published in the Southeastern Naturalist. So yeah, like we said, the Gopher in Tortoises, 2018. 2018. So these Gopher mm. Tortoises are medium-sized tortoises. They're growing to like 25 centimeters long, 11 inches, if you insist on inches. And they're found in the Southeastern USA from... Louisiana to Carolina and south into Florida. They're only in the very bottoms of um, Louisiana and Carolina. And they're found throughout Florida. And they're famous because they're ecosystem engineers. So they dig burrows, which are valuable shelter to like hundreds of different species, both vertebrate and invertebrate. And individual tortoises themselves use multiple burrows. I had a little look. There was a spatial ecology paper. Some of these tortoises are using 20 different burrows over Mm. the course of their tracking periods. They highlight in the paper, I think it's up to 35 was the number they give. Oh, wow. I must have missed that. It's a lot of burrows. Yeah, they have a network. I mean, okay, they're not interconnected, so it's not a network in that sense, but they are making a wide use of these burrows. Yeah, and they spend over 90% of their time in these burrows. They just love chilling down there. They love it. And they dig them out of sandy soil. And um, yeah, the idea behind this paper was basically, look, we know that these animals are ecosystem engineers. We know that they're digging these burrows. But how long are these burrows actually lasting once the tortoises have dug them? And, you know, because they have to be maintained. It's not like you dig a burrow and then you just go off, come back, go off, come back as many times as you want. The burrow is going to be exactly as you left it. If it rains over time, you know, anyone who's ever dug a hole will tell you they don't last forever. And it's no different from well, tortoise burrows. Especially in sandy, light soil. Yeah. Even without rain, <laughs> sand is uh, not the greatest of construction materials without a little help. No, exactly. So the tortoises have to go back. They maintain them. They're quite fastidious with their maintenance, it would seem. But eventually rain and time destroy them. So they wanted to see how long these burrows were being upkept by the tortoises, how long they were actually lasting for. And from their results, it seems like after three years, the majority of burrows were in disrepair. And most were no longer active actually after two years. So... For long-lived yeah, animals... Yeah, what was the maximum? Maximum was like a five-year... Five-year burrow. Five-year thing was what they assessed. That must have been a good burrow for that tortoise to have put all that effort barely in. Barely anything. No, five years, 100% were gone. Oh, five years were... I thought it was pretty much yeah. the case they were all gone. Three of them lasted four years. Yeah. That they found. So, you know... Which, yeah. <laughs> so they're pretty busy. If you think these tortoises could be living, I mean, at least 50, 60 years, I would imagine. They're probably in that time building a lot of burrows but that's cool you know these are ecosystem engineers they're doing all this amazing work for the ecosystem they should be encouraged and conserved wherever possible but the main question that philip wanted answering was what happens to these tortoises when their burrows collapse what happens when the very worst case scenario takes place okay, picture this you're a tortoise sitting in your burrow yep i'm peaceful secure feel right calm mate you spend 90 percent of your time down I here have this my is home like burrow friends around me you backed yourself into the burrow as well that's what they do they like to be facing out in case of any emergency well yeah in case you need to get out yeah or in case you need to defend well, you can't yourself. do a little three-point turn in a burrow <laughs> you certainly can't mate <laughs> anyway you're down in this burrow you're chilling but suddenly you know maybe it's raining the soil's gotten a little bit looser but the burrow collapses what happens? Can the tortoise dig its way out of a collapsed burrow? You'd think that was an no. unanswerable question. You're saying, you reckon not? 
<laughs> no, I reckon of course I can. Yeah. But it's just a horrifying idea that these tortoises dig their own graves. It's just comedically dark. Yeah, it's horrible. Anyway, so um, I actually managed to find two reports. Now, these aren't published scientific papers, they're reports, but I think I believe their content is extremely valid in this case, of course. And um, yeah, two times scientists have gone ahead and actually deliberately collapsed tortoise burrows to see oh. what happens. Because apparently... Oh. The ethics. A lot of these tortoises, uh, this paper even takes place on a military base. And so mm-hmm. a lot of tortoises, a lot of the areas in which they have remaining habitat that hasn't been sort of fiddled around with too much are on bases or, for the military because they tend to have, you know, like training areas or like, you know, at least exclusion zones around them exclusion where zones, people are yeah, not encouraged to are. come. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, in the course of maintaining those areas, sometimes heavy machinery will destroy tortoise burrows. Like they'll get like mown over or like there'll be some kind of backhoeing or whatever and the tortoise burrow will get filled in. So there was two studies, right? And over the two studies, they deliberately collapsed burrows with heavy machinery to simulate human activity and see what the tortoises would do. And they entombed 73 tortoises in their own burrows. And of those 73 across two studies, all but one managed to dig their way out. Only one of 73 died in its burrow. In one of the cases, though, Ben, one of the tortoises, <laughs> it took 107 days to dig itself out. Oh, my days. I, I would have done this study slightly differently. And that's, I would have set a cutoff time. Because the idea to me of entombing a, burying a tortoise alive is unthinkable. <laughs> yeah. So I would have a cutoff time, and I'd probably base that cutoff time on knowing how, you know, I'm sure people have decent ideas of gopher tortoise metabolism, and you can probably work out, all right, they can probably go X amount of time without some some food and water. I'd dig that little guy out. Yeah, they didn't. They waited 107 days, and it emerged. Victorious. Another one took 85 days. Those are the two record holders. The best part of three months, just silently digging yourself out of your own tomb. Having a little kip, digging on some more. Man, unthinkably hellish. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. Tortoises can get entombed, but when they do, they can usually dig themselves out in the vast, vast majority of cases, even if it takes them 107 miserable days. But now we know that, so there's no need to ever do that again. Yeah, well, as long as it's a findable published finding that people can find easily and see and be confident in, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. I mean, they can. If there's a cave-in, they'd survive. They can dig themselves out. They're hardcore. No surprise. I mean, reptiles can last for ages without food and water, but 107 days digging yourself out of a hole. So tortoise burrows, they can be a refuge for wildlife, but they can also be a trap then because I found this news article. Okay. And there was a case in America where these people had a pet tortoise. It was a sulcata tortoise. It wasn't gopher tortoise, but, you know, a big African tortoise that similarly likes burrowing. And um, they also had a pet French bulldog called Bruce. The tortoise they had was called Bianca and the French bulldog was called Bruce. And one day... They're looking all over the place for this little Frenchie. They can't find it anywhere. They're shouting, they're screaming. They've made posters. They're going to put them around the neighborhood to try and find little Bruce because they think maybe he's been stolen. Anyway, they're doing one last circuit of the garden, screaming for Bruce, hoping against hope that they'll hear his little 
muffled cries. And what do you know? They hear a whimpering. It's only coming from the burrow of their pet tortoise. So the tortoise has like six foot deep burrow and the dog has gone into the burrow to investigate. And then the tortoise is reversed in behind the dog and the and trap the dog trap is stuck. The dog. Yeah, the dog can't get out. Oh my days. <laughs> And so um, in the end, firefighters came and they consulted a herpetologist who was an expert on burrows of tortoises for like information on how best to excavate it without destroying it. And they managed to get the dog out and the tortoise out unharmed. And there's like a nice family picture of all of them together. Thank goodness. And then they had to have like a special dog trainer come and teach the dog the dangers of burrows. Although you'd think the dog would have learned this lesson, right? Oh, I don't know, man. They're terriers, right? Terriers are ratters. That's what they're bred for. It's in their their genes. That's kind of what they're meant to. They're probably not used to six foot deep holes with a tortoise that's going to reverse in and close them in. Either way, I thought that was mad. It is mad. You're right. (laughs) I'm glad everybody was okay. Yeah. Bianca trapped Bruce down the hall. So um, I guess from one instance of uh, humans interacting abnormally because of the influence of humans, we can go to another one. And What? What did I say? You said something about humans interacting abnormally because of the influence of humans. (laughs) That didn't make sense. (laughs) Mm, What I meant to say was um, from one case of animals interacting in an unusual way because of humans to another tenuous link we have a paper here about the turtle feeding so this is by smulders o'shea and christianan 2021 animal born video reveals atypical behavior in provisioned green turtles a global perspective of a widespread tourist activity published in global ecology and conservation so um yeah there's this place in the bahamas Tourists go there and they can feed wild turtles. It's a known thing. They go and they feed the turtles like squid, bits of squid, bits of old fish. And the turtles love it. They come up and you can feed them by hand and interact with the wildlife. Potentially magical experience for the people. Get to see a turtle up close, feed it some squid. Yeah, um, potentially magical experience for the green sea turtles. Free food. Yeah, free food. <laughs> but the authors of this paper are a little bit concerned because... I mean, green sea turtles don't even eat that much squid. They really are more sort of like seagrass grazers. Yeah, so what happens if you just supercharge their diet full of squid and fish on demand? Yeah, that's kind of the uh, impetus for this paper is like, is that cool or is that a thing? Essentially, after all this feeding has been going on, the turtles are acting a bit nuts now. They're investigating boats. They're running up to repellers to check out what's going on in the hopes they might get some squid. They're nibbling people and they're just kind of generally milling around near where people go instead of doing normal turtle stuff. Yeah, it is worth mentioning. So that the whole idea behind this study, how they pulled this off, was they strapped a bunch of video cameras to green sea turtles that were frequenting this sort of general provisioning feeding area and recorded, what was it, around 18 hours of video footage that they then watched back and classified up and sort of id'd okay what are the turtles doing what are other turtles you can see from this turtle's perspective doing and yeah it was i feel pretty convincing that they're acting in a different way to what they would usually given this sort of provisioning not just in oh look they are making use of this food source but they had more examples than perhaps you would expect of what did they call it aggressive aggressive behaviors yeah the specific turtles. aggressive behaviors yeah. so where the turtles would sort of get aggy towards each other over 
over some squid. Which they just don't do in normal behavior. They don't... Right. They have no reason. Normally, they're grazing on Well, they're seed. just chill grazing. There's enough seagrass to go around. No one needs to sort of yeah. compete. Even species like loggerheads, which do eat squid, they're not going to ever be competing for the same squid because they have to catch it. Like, yeah. It's a very, very alien situation for turtles to find themselves in. But, you know, like so many animals, they're pretty adaptable and they seem to be really taking the aggression thing in their stride to the point wow. where... They're and attacking biting e- tourists. Yeah, they're attacking each other and they're getting nibbly with the people. I thought in one of the videos, because there's a bunch of videos that they took from the turtle Which mounted, you can all see because it's all open access, right? With global ecology and conservation. Yeah, I mean, they're not really worth watching, to be honest. But but they're there if you want them. <laughs> they are there if you want them. The You don't really need to watch the videos. I would say in one of the videos, there's supposed to be a bite. I didn't see a bite in that video. I saw a lot of hectic turtle flapping around. I didn't actually see a bite take place. <laughs> Allegedly, they bit someone. There was a bit where the guy sort of like withdrew his hand out of the water. I mean, it's kind of funny because you can just see this turtle causing mischief. It's just like swimming around. And then you see like a boat propeller in one of the videos. And it's like really way too close to a boat propeller. It doesn't seem that phased. And um, in the other ones, they're just sort of like milling around the people and supposedly nibbling them. But the boat thing as well is really not a good thing because they're approaching the boats because people right. sometimes feed them from the boats. And stingrays in the Grand Cayman, where they get fed by tourists a lot, 85% of stingrays that they sampled had propeller cuts. So it only stands to reason that there's going to be some turtles getting a bit There's always going to be accidents. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you're bringing animal and large mechanized machine in close proximity i mean there's only ever going to be one winner so and it ain't the turtles no they can withstand bull shark bites but they or tiger shark bites but they cannot withstand propellers well and even if they can okay you can withstand one propeller that's still going to be a reduction on your fitness mm. it's still a stressor yeah yeah i want to spend as little time near propellers as i can mm-hmm. but then they also yeah. Good rule for life. Yeah, they extended this paper out and they were like, well, is this happening elsewhere in the world? And yes, there's like a bunch of places where green sea turtles, loggerhead turtles and hawksbill turtles are all being fed similarly, usually squid for some reason. So yeah, it could be that this is a problem. Well, in some of the locations, it was mixed up with fruit and uh, like lettuce and stuff. It wasn't exclusively squid. Hmm. I feel like they'd be less aggressive in search of lettuce than they would squid, but who knows? You would suspect so, yeah. But I don't know. But um, yeah, basically feeding the turtles is turning the turtles into just bad versions of themselves. So I think that's a good enough reason to think it's pretty bad. I know in some places like feeding dolphins is prohibited. I always think those places where they feed sharks is really dumb as well, because like those sharks are being fed every day and just chum and stuff. They must just go looking for chum instead of feeding. I mean, I know I would. If I was a wild animal... Yeah, you bring up the point, and that's exactly what they're doing here with the turtles, is the turtles don't need to bother grazing equivalents because the the food that they're being given is so much sort of denser, presumably, in... It's got to be very rich. I guess calories. Like, I don't even know if it's a nutrients thing. For all I know, squid is actually not as good for these guys as grazing on seagrass. But basically, it, it does seem that they are eating seagrass less because of this provisioning. Now, what that actually does dietarily to them, I don't know. But Mm. um, there were suggestions that they're growing faster. Yeah, supercharged. Getting bulkier. But that's not necessarily a healthier turtle. I don't know. Like diet, everybody feels it themselves. You can eat a lot of food, but if it's a bad type of food, you're not going to feel great. You can eat the same amount of food of something better and yeah outwardly look worse but be healthier or something i don't know (laughs) 
just them growing more isn't necessarily, oh, it's fine. They're growing fine. No, no. But yeah, the fact that this was done by putting cameras on the turtles was very cool. And uh, yeah, it's just good. I don't know. I feel like you need to do these kinds of studies because everyone could be like, oh, it's fine. We're just feeding turtles. It's like, well, it is fine until you're actually like really dramatically altering the behavior of like quite delicate animals. Well, it's not just the turtles too, because you it's provisioning a large quantity of food into a very specific location. Like it's an unusual setup. Like you're not just messing with the turtles, you're messing with a sort of food web dynamic and they bring that up in the paper is if the turtles aren't grazing on all this seagrass you're not only affecting the place where you're dumping a bunch of squid and sort of fish matter but you're potentially affecting their usual grazing grounds because the turtles aren't there because they hang around they need to maintain that they were saying they were hanging around in shallower areas than they're used to who's going to get at this tasty food who's going to mow the seagrass lawn if not the turtles well my point is that they are repercussions for this sort of stuff that aren't immediately apparent and that actually could be a lot harder to observe. Yeah, there's also a couple of possible negatives, which I just wanted to touch on quickly. One is that apparently this got worse during COVID. The turtles were getting more rambunctious because fewer people were there to feed them. There was right. more turtles so they, looking for less like squid. Like a dependency. So yeah. They just went mad. Addicted to that squid. Squid. And then also there's this report of some matey who came along to this place where all the habituated turtles met up and just caught eight of them and sold them to someone to eat. So... Yeah, and they're real docile because they're all used to boats. Yeah, like, they oh, see yeah, the guy. Great, free fruit. Go on, hop in. Yeah, in the bag. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> Devastating. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Don't feel well. Flip side, because there are positives to this. With you people to... having their close interactions with wildlife, that, like you say, a sort of magical dreamlike experience of feeding turtles might be an incredible sort of catalyst for encouraging positive perceptions of wildlife. And that sort of interaction and the the sort of general attitude towards sharing this planet with things that are non-human, which can be potentially good. Yeah. But if I went to go have my magical experience with a turtle (laughs) and one of them bit me, I'd be like, let them go extinct. Yeah, complete flip-flop, right? Let them go extinct. This is, yeah, I bring it up as a positive, but I think you'd be quite hard-pressed to suggest that that positive outweighs all the negatives and also just all the uncertainties. Probably shouldn't be doing this until we have a better understanding of what's the implications of it. And arguably, you should be able to respect wildlife without feeding them in close proximity. Yeah. But hey. Yeah. Look from a distance. But there you go. So um, there you go. There's our episode all about go for tortoise burrows and a little bit of why you should or shouldn't feed turtles. And that was a Patreon episode for Philip Iovino. So thanks a lot, Philip. And if you want to become our Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash highlights. And for all new patrons and existing patrons, we're sending out stickers to everyone. So um, get your sticker. They're really fun. If you want to see what the stickers look like, check out our social media and you'll find them. Have you got any other business, Ben? No, I don't. I've been attending conferences and learning about movement ecology. And so herpetology has not come up frequently. Yeah, but unfortunately. You know. It's good. It's good. It's good to go to those conferences, meet those spatial ecologists, see what's going on. It is good stuff is going on. That I can say with complete confidence. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear. All right. Well, um, yeah, I think that all that remains to be said now 
is you can check out our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us with any corrections or questions, herphighlights at gmail.com. And if you could find the time to leave us a review on your podcast app, allegedly it's good. We've got loads of reviews on Spotify and they're all five stars. It's really nice. So thanks very much for everyone who's taking the time to do that. It's really, really cool. I haven't listened to the podcast via Spotify. I don't listen to podcasts via Spotify, but this goes for anywhere. If you're getting ads during this podcast, before, after, during, whatever, that's not us. None of that's us. That's all you podcast providing service client. Is anyone actually hearing ads? I don't think anyone is. I, I hope not. They better not. Because be. that's the whole point of the whole the whole Patreon, the whole thing. Like that's the beauty of the whole Patreon folk supporting us is that that's never a concern, and so you can just have podcast with no interruption, no nonsense thrown in. Yeah, just pure herpetology. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, good to reiterate that. All right, well, nice one. Yeah, I think that's it. So, um, yeah, catch you next time, Ben, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>